All right, everybody, welcome back to your favorite show on Spotify. My name is Jack Hayes. I'm the host here of the Weekly Profit. It is officially week five, day 29. And joining me on the show today is Boston real estate broker and founder of Walker Residential, Marcus Walker. He joins us to discuss the current state of the Boston real estate market, why now is actually the best time to buy real estate, and four keys that can guarantee you success in life, real estate, and generational wealth. Marcus also shares his tips for starting out in real estate, including where to look for your first clients and his own journey from rural, from rural Montana to Boston and back again. He talks about the importance of mindset, skill set, daily habits, and the people you surround yourself with in becoming a successful real estate agent. Also, Marcus provides insights on specific topics such as buyer and seller specifics, common misconceptions about real estate, and effective ways to market a home in 2023. We also discussed the importance of closing costs and the benefits to, th- benefits to thinking bigger. Lastly, we reflect on his own journey in becoming a broker, and he leaves us with a powerful message on how he wants to be remembered. Again, guys, if you gain anything from this, we don't pump it with ads. I sincerely appreciate any likes, subscribes, or shares with your friends, and I really hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. did and basically the concept of that book is you know it's not how smart you are it's not all the connections you have in life it's your consistency and your ability to battle through adversity every single day so i was like what better name for a dog that's going to take a tremendous amount of work than than gritty yeah no that's that's awesome and when did you get the when did you get the dog like what kind of stage was this? I I was in this stage where it was like the beginning of the pandemic and we were all getting locked in and I was getting super stir crazy and I I had always wanted a dog but I wanted to be a badass dog owner. I can tell a lot about a person based on their dog. If their dog uh, is really well trained I know that that's a person that I can count on And so I wanted to be like a badass dog owner. And I was like, what better time to buy a dog during the beginning of this pandemic where I can devote a lot of time to training him. So that was kind of my mindset going into it. And I found this breeder in Colorado and I went there, man, and that shit blew my mind. He was like, we've got levels of dogs. And he takes me to this dog and this dog is mangled, man. It's got a huge cut on its eye. It's missing half its ear. And I'm like, what's going on with this dog? He's like, this dog cornered a coyote in our barn and fought it for four and a half hours. By the time I found it, it was nearly dead. I wanted to bring that dog into the bloodline. And then he's like, here's some dogs that are at the secret service right now. Some of their genetic offspring. And these were like the LeBron James of dogs, like just crazy protection level dogs and then so he's interviewing me about like what I'm looking for in a dog and I'm like I I don't need a dog that's on that level but it was cool to see dogs that are being bred to you know uh, protect our borders protect uh, the White House and and see that level of protection dog was pretty cool yeah no it's super interesting yeah I'm right along with you I've had my eyes on like I think it's called an Australian cattle dog And it just, it gives me that same exact vibe. Like this thing is totally fine without me, but it's a hell of a lot better to have it with me than not. And it would be like, like I'm, I'm high enough energy. Like I can take it on runs and stuff. Like 
that type of thing doesn't phase me. It's just if I want to move downtown, it's not the most ideal. Um, but yeah, cool, man. Now, what are you most excited about? start off 2023 i'm excited to grow my business and uh bring someone on to help me expand i've been a solo entrepreneur for four years and kind of hitting that glass ceiling of making like a quarter million dollars a year and i i'm really realizing in order to scale this i need to bring someone on i'm i have so many hats in my business and i'm doing so many things that it's kind of taking me away from what I'm really good at, which is interacting with people and going out there and, and making relationships. Hell yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, you're talking to Prophet Jack, so we can we can chop it up. Um, but very cool. Now, what do you, I heard you and in some of your content, you, you were kind of quoted as saying uh, 2023 is actually the best time to buy in Boston. Take me through that process. Why do you think that? What has the market told you that indicates that there is so much fear in the market right now and whenever you're seeing a lot of fear i've trained my mind that fear equals opportunity so when you see people scared they're reading the news they're saying that we're in a recession you have a lot of people pulling back and waiting on the sidelines and what we've seen now in the market is we've seen a lot of sellers who have bought into this fear and need to sell and they're willing to take a price that Hey, maybe they shouldn't take because of that fear in the market. So the Boston real estate market has been such a heavy seller's market for years, especially during the pandemic, that we're finally seeing that start to shift a little bit. So properties that were selling in, you know, seven days are now on market for three weeks. Properties where it was like they're going 10, 20, 30 percent over asking price. Now they're 5% under asking price. So I love it because I pride myself in my ability to negotiate. And over the last three years, listing agents, the people representing the sellers, have been like parrots. They're just repeating the same things. Highest and best offer, highest and best offer. And now I get in and I get the ability to negotiate, which is my passion. I love negotiation. Very cool. Yeah, we'll dive into that um, for sure. I want to hear your, your thoughts on kind of your process with that. But also now let's talk about it kind of feels like, in my opinion, as someone who's just in and out of the game, that we just came off a period where there was like it seemed like everything was extremely booming. And like you said, like people just wanted the highest and best offer. Now, what has changed in the last, I don't know, I guess, approaching two to three years that um, kind of acknowledge what has happened to get us to where we were in say 2020 and where, where it felt like things were good, things were booming to like now where it seems like there's like, like you said, there's a uh, divot in the market. Right. Basically the government printed an insane amount of money. So cash was rich and savvy people realized that they wanted to put their cash to work. So they put it in real estate because that's, you know, a pretty safe bet. And what we've seen over the last year is we sent, we've seen interest rates double. You know, last December of 2021, I locked an interest rate on one of the properties that I owned at 2.85. Now, fast forward today, uh, you know, 13 months later, we're at an interest rate of 6.5%. So interest rates have nearly doubled, which means people's payment on a potential property has gone up thousands of dollars. 
So what that did is that took a lot of people out of the market over the last year. They said, whoa, 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 I, I don't want to pay that rate. And there's not nearly the competition in the market that there was when there was so much money and the interest rates were so low. Gotcha. Very interesting. Now, what uh, specifically, is there a specific neighborhood you target in Boston or what do you guys cover at your uh, agency right now? I'm really hyper-focused in the neighborhood of Jamaica Plain. That's where I live. That's where we're at today in my office. Uh, I'm really hyper-focused in the Brookline neighborhood, which is one of the wealthiest suburbs that borders Boston. And then I'm, I'm all over the city and within about 45 minutes of Boston and the outskirts as well. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And now um, we'll go back a little bit. When you're starting out in this game, is it is your uh, radius smaller? Do you really just focus? Like, did it take time to be able to expand? Or are you always, as soon as you enter, kind of just looking for wherever the opportunity is? You know, it took a lot of time to kind of get outside of the city. When I started into this yeah. game, I came from rural Montana. When I grew up, my literal front yard was a 20-acre cow pasture. So when I came to Boston, I was a bit of a rube. I was a bit of a country bumpkin. And I was kind of just blown away by the city. So I needed to quickly bring in some mentors into my life and help people in real estate because real estate is a hundred percent commission job in most cases. So you kill, or excuse me, you eat what you kill. So I knew from the jump that I had to align myself with agents and brokers that were experienced and had so much business that they could kind of hand me off some stuff while I grew my network. Very cool. Yeah, no, that seems to be a common theme within it, but especially, I mean, what a culture shock. What drew you to Boston? How did that come together that you got out here? So I, I was never a great student. I struggled in high school. I struggled in college. I just barely graduated college. And uh, I did a year-long exchange at UMass Amherst. And cool. basically, I found a loophole in the system. I wasn't able to qualify to go to UMass Amherst because of my GPA was so low. But I found this national student exchange. So I was able to exchange from the University of Montana and go to UMass Amherst, and they didn't care about your grades with this uh, exchange program. So the first night I fly in, I'm with a lot of my like good childhood buddies, and we go to a Red Sox game. We get tickets. The scalper takes us to the like, you know, just completely exploits us, charges us like three times what it should be, but we're dumb and we don't know. So we get in, we're having the time of our lives. We're drinking Freedom Pops. We're cracking open the beers. And by like the seventh or eighth inning, I'm like, wait a minute, this is a no-hitter. And that game ends up being a no-hitter thrown by Clay Buckholds. And I was just enamored by the city at that point. I was so in love with Boston. And then, you know, the next day we take the long uh, ride out to uh, UMass Amherst. Uh, in in Amherst, Massachusetts. But anytime I had some free time, I was figuring out a way to get back uh, to the city. And then I went back to the University of Montana, graduated, was going to be like a ski bum for a year. And the second day of ski season, I overshoot the landing of a jump by 20 feet, land in the flat, ACL snapped at this point. I am now sitting 
in my childhood bedroom in my parents' basement selling fucking shoes to old ladies. And I am miserable at this point. And that's when I'm like, all right, I'm going to pack up my car and I'm going to drive to Boston and and I'm going to try to make a dream a reality. No shit. Really? So it really went down. And what was this? I gauge like what? 22 ish. Yeah. It took me five years to graduate college. So I was like 23, 22, 23. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Damn. And then was this, did you drive up with the ACL still like torn or were you healed at that point? My sister's a physical therapist, uh, shout out to advanced physical therapy or advanced performance in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. So she healed me up and, you know, I wasn't quite at a hundred percent, but that feeling of being in your childhood basement selling shoes, I felt like such a big loser to be honest with you, Jack. And I think when we're feeling something inside of us, whether we're feeling, you know, down and out or depressed, that's our spirit. And that's our mind telling us that we need to make a massive change. So I took that as a, as a sign that I really needed to change my life and I needed to take a risk and get outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And now what was your, what was your plan when you got to Boston? Were you just going to live out of your car? Did you have people that you knew out there already that you could kind of like float with for a little bit? Yeah, I was super lucky. A childhood friend of mine was playing hockey at Salem State. And he said, uh, Marcus, if you come over here, my roommates, you know, they're going to pay rent for the summer, but they're not going to be in town. And I was like, this is an opportunity for me to get my feet set in Salem while I figured out how I was going to make a living in Boston. Nice. Okay, cool. And then uh, what were, what did you do initially? Like, what was the first, like, you thought, like, okay, this is going to work for a little so bit? So I got there, and I've always been a hustler, and I've always been a, a guy who's had a job since I could get a job, whether it was starting a lawn mowing business as a kid or hustling retail jobs. So I got into Salem, Massachusetts, and I walked around downtown Salem, and I found this place called the Army Barracks, which was an army supply store, and they were hiring. So I grabbed that job, and while I took that job, I was interviewing for jobs in Boston. And the first job I landed in Boston was working for a major biotech company doing customer service. And again, like so outside of my comfort zone, this uh, biotech company specialized in a product that was banking umbilical cord blood. At the time, the technology was that if they could get a cord blood sample, when a woman has a child, she has an umbilical cord, that umbilical cord is rich with stem cells. This company would take uh, a blood sample that was rich in stem cells and then go freeze it in a place in Kentucky. And it was all sold on their process that like, hey, if your child gets sick with something, uh, bank this umbilical cord blood and this might be able to save their life at some point. And did they say sick with any specifics or just in general, they're going to test it while it's frozen and whatever. They're going to hold on to it. It was really good if someone had like sickle cell uh, and some other genetic disorders. I'm not even sure if that's needed at this point now with how much technology's changed. Yeah. But you had these 
emotional women and men who had just had the birth of a child. And they literally thought that this cord blood sample was like a life or death thing. When reality, 99.999% of people would never even use it. But they're irrational. They're emotional. And I'm on the phone with them. And I was so bad at this job, Jack. They recorded all your phone calls. And I called it my greatest hits. Because every week, HR would call me in to the office. And they would play back these recordings of me on the phone. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. And it was, it was one of those jobs where, like, I'm going to get fired at some point, so I better start thinking about a plan B. Yeah. And then was plan B real estate? You know, was that, did you, how did you find the real estate side? I kind of just fell into real estate at the time. Uh, the guy yeah. who rented me my first apartment had a real estate brokerage and a buddy of mine from Montana had worked for him for a year. And every two, three months he was following up with me and he's like, Hey, Hey, come work for me. Come work for me. And then Interesting. after a, a tough point in that job, I had said, hey, I'm going to need like four or five days off. And they're like, uh, this is really last minute. Okay, whatever. And that's when I decided in that four or five days that I was going to get into real estate. So the next day I, or four days later, I come back to that job and they're like, Marcus, we need to talk with you in HR. And I'm like, oh no, like they're going to, they're probably going to fire me. So I start walking to this HR meeting and I'm like, okay, I'm going to own this situation and I'm going to tell them that I'm leaving before they can fire me or write me up again. And I said, oh, yeah. I'm doing like some quick mental math in my head. I'm like, okay, I've got like $1,200. Okay. This is what my rent is. And I get there and I'm like, well, well before you guys say anything, I'm going to give you uh, a month and a half notice. This is going to be my last day of work. And they were so blown aback. They're like, we've gotten two weeks notice. No one's ever given us a month and a half notice on this sort of job, but that's what I needed to do to come up with the funds. And then the next day my boss got fired. So then for the next month and a half, I'm in this weird purgatory where I don't really have to answer to anyone. So I'm running into the file room, making real estate phone calls. I'm advertising rentals all throughout Boston, and and that kind of gave me uh, that window I needed to to get into real estate. Sweet, yeah, that's super sick. Because it's funny that twist you added at the end of it, where you like told them like a month and a half, like because you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it, but I, they probably even respected it to a level. Like I just am like laughing at what must have been going through their head. Like they probably were there to fire you. Like you knew that. You kind of know. I know when I'm about to lose a client, just like you probably knew you were about to get fired. So I kind of do the same thing where I'm like, all right, let me just go and present this and just lay it out the facts. But it's proven to be the best thing you can do. If you can just take ownership of it, assess that it's, you know, not exactly the best fit, then, you know, uh, you go a long way. So that's pretty cool. Now, were there any like role models or like key points of uh, influence during all this? I mean, it seems like it, happened pretty quickly once you got to Boston, you figured out what was it for you, and then you got a taste of kind of what was. It's interesting how he kept reminding you. So he saw something in like your attitude where it was like, he'd be a good fit for this. Right, yeah. and this guy that brought me on, it, it's taken a long time for me to realize this, but I'm actually grateful for him. Our business relationship ended up not working out. This gentleman ended up losing his real estate license, 
He ended up uh, in all sorts of legal troubles. And it was crazy because from the outside perspective, I thought this guy was the most successful person I had ever met. He had the slick suit. He had the BMW. He had all the trappings of someone who appears to be financially successful. However, he did not own the property he was living in. He had massive credit card debt. And all the money that he was making, he was putting towards looking the part when in reality he had some issues going on inside of him and he wasn't doing what he should have been doing with the money. And I ended up uh, leaving him as his whole business was kind of disintegrating. And at the time, I was so heartbroken. He owed me, you know, well over $10,000, which at the time might as well have been, you know, $100,000 because I, I really didn't have much money to my name. So I left and I was so close to moving back to Montana, but I couldn't move back to Montana. I had committed to Boston. I didn't want to come back and feel like a loser. So I went uh, about a half block down and I ended up working for this lady, Arlene Lahane, which to this day, she's still one of my great mentors. And she was the total opposite, man. She had a 12 year old car. She looked a little disheveled, but I started hearing from her. She owned 12 different properties. She was making nearly $30,000 a month just on all of the real estate she owned. And so I saw the two sides. I saw the facade of someone who appears to be really successful, but doesn't really have their money right. And then I saw the other woman who uh, isn't flashy with her money at all, but is a multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. So it was great to be exposed to those two extremes and take a little bit from both. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you had to really see it through and go through it. Because I bet at the time with this guy, like, I can only imagine how much of, like, an opportunity it felt like. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate, especially when things start out new and they start out really good. But how quickly, like, you have to have that level of awareness to, like, you know, make sure with yourself. But a lot of times it sounds like it's out of your control, right? Like, you couldn't control that, but the next best thing came out of it. And then you obviously made the most of it or you wouldn't be here, you know, right now. Um, so that's cool. We covered that. Now, um, let's go back a little bit, like for an 18 to let's say 25 year old who wants to start in this game, maybe they're in a similar boat. I know a lot of guys that just graduated college and women and they want something with a little more freedom, but they're good with people. Like, obviously you're a good conversationalist. You understand the game. Communication is a big part of it just in any sales. But yeah, like what kind of advice would you give someone who's considering it or maybe hasn't even looked at real estate as an opportunity, but why they should right now? Right. I I just think it really comes down to three or four things. It comes down to first and foremost, mindset. If you don't have the right mindset and you're not going to get out there and hustle and meet as many people as you can, um, it's going to be really tough to get into real estate. And looking back, I wish my mindset was bigger. I was so focused on just making, you know, a thousand dollars that I wish I would have thought bigger and been thinking about a million dollars. And then, so you have skill set. That's the next thing that's really important to develop your skill set in real estate. I started off in primarily doing rentals, um, but I was learning the game. I was learning about sales. I was learning about investing. So you have 
uh, mindset, skill set. And then next, which is so important in life, is habits. What are your daily habits? Are you getting up at 12 and rolling over and eating a donut? Or are you getting up at 4.30 a.m. and devoting some time to yourself, whether that's working out or, or meditating, and just to get everything in your mind right? And then last but not least is the people that you hang out with. And this has taken me a long time to realize this. I went to a buddy's uh, 40th birthday party last week and he said, you know, I've trimmed a lot of fat out of my life in the last couple of years. And you people that are at this birthday tonight, you are the meat. And that was so huge to me. The people you hang around with are so important. That doesn't mean that you need to push everyone out of your life, but there's certain people that don't need to be your day-to-day -day homies anymore. That doesn't mean you can't love them. That doesn't mean you can't support them from a distance, but you are the people that you hang out with. So if you wanna be a multimillionaire, you need to be hanging out with some multimillionaires. If you wanna be super fit, you better be hanging out with some people who are jacked. And, and those are the four things that I think are really important uh, not only in real estate, but for anyone who's, you know, 2023. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's the toughest thing because obviously as a 20, literally just turned 22, I'm experiencing it firsthand where it's like you have the relationships from high school that you think are, they do mean a lot during those years, but we're not, no, nobody's ready for when they kind of don't mean any that much. And you have to just be like, acknowledge that you don't know any different like it's a change to not acknowledge them as people that are gonna bring you up and then it's the same thing as i realized just graduating college very kind of similar i definitely see the ones that'll be around for a while but i also have become aware of the ones where like i'm really not getting much out of this and again appreciate from afar wish them well but there's no point in me pursuing it i need to make because otherwise like you said you don't have time to make connections with the millionaires and those people because you're spending time with the the others, what have you done to surround yourself with those types of people? You know, I've looked for people who are doing what I want to do. And I go out there and I study those people and I try to figure out a way to add value to them. With Arlene, cool. who was my first mentor, it was, hey, what do you hate doing in the real estate business? I'm willing to take on all of that. And now that I've gotten a little older, it's finding people in my industry, whether it's a badass real estate attorney and, and getting to know them and seeing how I can provide value to them. Maybe it's I hand them off my clients uh, to do purchase and sales, which requires a real estate attorney. And now I get to form a really awesome relationship with someone who uh, you know, owns their own law firm and is really getting after it. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Very cool. Um, now, where I wanted to go with this one. Um, what's I going to say? Covered a lot of good stuff so far. Okay. What's one thing you'd say successful agents do that others don't? Constantly be, be prospecting. You never know okay. when you're going to run into someone who needs to buy or sell real estate. So a lot of people have this idea that like, oh, I'm working and now I'm not working. I have blended the two so much that I often can't even tell myself 
if I'm working or not working. If you're going to get into real estate, it's got to become a lifestyle. You can't think of it as a nine to five job or you're not going to succeed into this because I am working when everyone else is not working. When do people want to see houses? After 5 p.m. When do people uh, put offers on properties? On Saturdays and Sundays sometimes. So if you're thinking about real estate as a nine to five job, you are going to get crushed. You need to think of it about you're working when everyone else is not working. Yeah, no, 100%. And instead, like, exactly, like, take the point of, like, the whole podcast and everything is, like, take your advice. Because otherwise, a lot of guys like me, they experience their doing, right? So we're just like, oh, yeah, they say that. But, like, let's see. Let me try this 9 to 5 strategy. Like, okay, you're just putting yourself six months back of when you actually figure it out. And then, or you could start ahead and just realize, all right, am I actually ready for this? What little things can I do? to like prepare for this. Like, like you said, I like to draw back to my habits because then it like, it relates to work. Like if I go harder in the gym in the morning, I'm more likely to spend way more time on my business. I just, you can't not compare the two. Like it's, it's just natural. So it's like, if you can't do it, don't think so hard about doing it with your current job, but think about, okay, what habits can I do? And then just see if you naturally start to get better at kind of what you're doing. Right. To your, to your point, man, it, it's all about mindset, skill set, habits, and the people that you're hanging around with. If you can make it just those four things, I think in entrepreneurship, we tend to overcomplicate stuff, but the simpler you can make it, the easier it is to follow. 100%. Yeah. I'm getting another thing. Again, I'm glad you said that because I've noticed what can how much can i simplify this because you get so far ahead of yourself and like one opportunity goes here so you start thinking about like the next five years with that and you're just like no like this opportunity is here today it's going to be here tomorrow like take it day by day um now on the i want to talk about buyers and sellers specifics a little bit here um what would you say are the misconceptions about the selling process of a home I think some of the misconceptions of the selling process is that the home's ready to be put on market right away. When I go and look at a property, I look through the lens of a buyer. So the big thing you have to do when you're selling a property is get rid of all of the clutter in your house. Less is more. You want the house to look bigger than it actually is. And that means you need to get rid of a lot of stuff. And I think, too, in this market, now that we're seeing a shifting market, it used to be, yeah, you can just throw on a property, throw it on MLS, and it's going to sell in a week. But now it's so much more than that. I do a lot of deals where I'm a dual agent, where I represent both the seller and the buyer. And you really have to market properties now. You can't just throw it on MLS and hope for it to sell. You need to go old school and do some door knocking and get the neighbors excited about the property prior to hitting market. And I love doing pre-market campaigns where it's like, I have a secret. I have a property coming on next week and kind of build that excitement so that the day you go live where it does hit MLS, you've built up the momentum and you've built up the hype to that property hitting the market. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I like the idea of the silent like promotion because you're like you said you're around these people why not educate them on like what you're doing now how does someone know they are ready to sell 
someone knows when they're ready to sell when the property no longer fits their lifestyle. So for a lot of people, that's um, they've outgrown their property. Maybe they had their first kid and they're thinking about having a second kid and the property no longer makes sense for them. Or maybe it's someone who's moving out of the area and it doesn't make sense to hold on to the property. Okay, very cool. And now, um, are there cues you look for while you're like out networking, out prospecting to get a read on whether somebody's ready to like, can you tell when somebody's serious about selling and when they're maybe just floating the idea to you? How do you kind of navigate? Right, and it's pain points. If someone's in pain, they want to get out of that scenario. So the more someone feels like they're in pain and they need to get out of something, that is a huge sign that they're ready to sell. And that pain can be a lot of different things. That can be maybe they're going through a breakup with their significant other, or maybe the pain is this place doesn't work for us anymore. We got a little baby and we don't have enough room. But the more pain someone's feeling, that lets me know that they need help. Mm -hmm. No, super cool. I really love how it, it so much correlates to just the sales we teach and the sales I teach my team, like how we look for, I have a team of appointment setters and like what we tell them to really hone in on is like, we ask them these qualifying questions to identify their pain points and kind of take it through there. It's so funny how like, it's not funny, but it's very cool. how like the selling process is so similar. It's like, no matter what you have a high ticket offer. When pe people are ready to sell, when they're ready to move off these pain points for like, like you said, like a better, better option. Um, what can sellers do today to effectively market their houses? Well, they, it's really important that they work with the right broker. Um, I'm a real estate broker. Most people are real estate agents. And our industry in a lot of ways is dinosaurs. So you need to work with someone who understands social media and understands where this market is shifting. We have a lot of people retiring from this industry, so I always recommend working with someone who's at the right trajectory of their career. Some people are towards the tail end of their career, and they're kind of just an autopilot where there's nothing wrong with that, but I think sellers should work with someone who's young and hungry, and their trajectory of their career is still going up, up, and up for someone who's flatlined and is ready to retire in a couple of years. Yeah, no, that's 100%. That's a really good point because like you said, if people are on the up and up, they're changing with the times and the people that are stuck in their ways are not. And a lot of times changing with the times means adapting and making life easier. So like, I'm sure like social media has only made promoting how get houses get more exposure. So like whether it's directly selling homes, of course you can attest to that, but the mere, are people seeing it more? Yes, there's more outlets. So you need someone that understands that part of the game. Otherwise, you're missing out on just a, a huge key part. Um, and now what are some key cost-effective ways people could add value to their homes? Great question. So the two areas where you can add the most value are the kitchen and bathrooms. Uh, people love to gravitate towards kitchens. So if you have a dated kitchen... Uh, that's going to be make it a lot harder to sell a property. Um, so updating in kitchens and bathrooms is huge. Um, the other thing that I think is so important is people don't have a lot of vision sometimes. They want to go in and they want to see a property that looks in pristine condition. 
So another thing that I do with a lot of my listings is I have them staged. If someone is moved out of the property, I will bring in a stager to add value so that a property uh, looks better when it has furniture. It gives people a sense of scale and they can see themselves there. They can envision their families being there. They can envision having Thanksgiving dinner uh, in the kitchen where if it's a blank slate and there's nothing in there, people have a hard time envisioning themselves in the property. Yeah, 100%. I can remember that uh, just going around with my, my dad was a real estate agent uh, pre-2008. Um, and yeah, I, that was a big thing. The houses that were staged, much different vibe compared to, I was a kid, I was not picturing, you know, stuff and like that. But when it was empty, you could just totally sense, like, I have no idea if I want to be here. It's like, it's a lot of room, but do I really see myself here? It's interesting. Now let's cover the buyer side a little bit. Um, for a first time, uh, sorry, uh, misconceptions about the process of buying a house, you'd say, like, why are people hesitant in a sense? I think most people don't realize how much you can grow your wealth through owning real estate. And I'm a huge believer in this. The majority of real estate agents, one, do not own real estate. And two, uh, very few of them own investment real estate. And I think there is no better way to become a millionaire than by owning real estate. People who own real estate, their net worths are substantially higher than someone who doesn't own real estate. So a lot of people just think about, oh, I just want you know uh, an attractive place to live in. But I think... Uh, people need to realize you can grow your financial wealth substantially through owning real estate. So it's more than just having a, a pretty place that you own and pride and ownership. It's building that nest egg, not only for you, but your family and then generational wealth of real estate. You know, some of the wealthiest families in America own a shit ton of real estate and you're able to pass that on uh, to your kids and put them in an awesome position. So I don't think most people realize how much you can grow your financial wealth uh, with real estate. Yeah, hundred percent. And like the, uh, I don't know, you've probably, have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, yes. I assume? Yes. Yeah. My sister's reading it right now. I gave it to her after I was done and she just told me that same thing. She's like, Jack, you are so the, I forgot how they split it up, but like you're doing this and I'm doing this and I need to get closer to what you're doing. And I was like, there you go. Like that's the click. And she's like, and we need to get an investment. Property. You're the rich I'm dad. Like, yeah. And yeah, exactly. I'm the rich dad. And she's like, she's like, yes, we need to find something. Cause we live in St. Augustine, which is like a very, or we grew up in St. Augustine. So it's very like, we know what the market's like. And like, we know where people want to be and stuff like that. And it definitely feels like it's giving me a leg up as I get to those years where I am ready to invest. And like, I'm paying attention on how property values have just shot up with the tourism, you know? like noticing how many new people are moving in and you know what places are being developed i mean oh my god it's changing so quick i'm only go home like three times a year but i can see how much everything's changing so right paying attention to little things like that and, and to your point um, my my first yeah. purchase was an investment property and i want to talk a little bit about like what that has done yeah. for my mindset Sure. Buying my yeah. first investment property pays for this office. It pays for the beautiful condo I live in. If you can put assets first, instead of going buying that fancy car, 
Instead of buying that luxury condo, go buy something first that makes you money and it'll change your life because that gave me the ability to uh, not have a fear mindset. When I knew I had money coming in each month from this investment property, then I could take more risks in my business and then uh, lean headfirst into entrepreneurship and not worry about how I was going to get uh, a check each month because I had that money coming in. So anyone out there that is young, especially your age, think about your first property being an investment property. Yeah, very good advice. I, I 100% agree. And f there's so many people that they probably like, we probably don't even realize we're around that have experience in that game. You don't have to go to like somebody who's just in real estate to talk about investment properties. There's plenty of people that do everyday things that a lot of their wealth comes from the fact that they own a lot of real estate and you could have no idea. So it's just like asking the right questions and like really exposing yourself. Um, talk to us a little bit about closing costs because I think that was an important thing. I'm kind of pulled from your your site a little bit um, that I think people don't know enough about. Right. Closing costs are important. So there's a lot of prepaids that come with closing costs. You're going to be paying a couple months of your mortgage, usually at least two months up front. And then you're going to be uh, paying a lender for their services too. So you want to make sure that uh, you have the upfront money for closing costs. Closing costs can be anywhere from one to 3%. So let's say you buy a $300,000 place, your closing costs are probably going to be close to around $9,000 um, on top of, you know, the, the five, the 10 or the 20% that you put down. Okay. Cool. Man. Yeah. Sweet. I'm really glad we hit on both of those. Now kind of our fun sort of heading to the wrap up. Um, what are your, what's one thing people learn too late? What's one thing people learn too late? I think that's mindset. You know, when yeah. I was your age, I was thinking about making $50,000 a year where, where I should have really been thinking about making $500,000 a year. And I didn't start changing my mindset till I started seeing it. But if you can at 22, 23, start thinking about massive amounts of money and thinking about expanding your mindset, and not thinking about $1,000, but start thinking about $100,000. Man, I, I wish I would have had that mindset when I was 22, 23, because instead of almost being a millionaire, which I'll be this year, I would be yeah. you know, tens of millions of dollars at this point. Interesting. Yeah, it's very cool. You've touched on thinking big a lot in this, which has been cool to hear, because I feel like naturally when this year started, I kind of like had like this faint goal of like that closer to like 10k a month and then i started thinking i'm like dude but with what you're doing you can scale it to 100k a month just as quick you just have to like think like that and now that's become like my goal it's just like i can build an enterprise that's worth at least 100k a month is more like how i figure it not that that's take home but yeah like it's and it's helpful i've seen the opportunities start to show up a little more and it's it's very interesting how that works just you know the diligence side of it Right. Uh, and and to your point, yeah. I wanted to touch on something. There is yeah. actually less competition when you start thinking bigger. Everyone's going after $1,000. Not many people are thinking about $100,000 a month. And I think about it in real estate. Everyone's going after those $300,000 listings. 
But if you start going after the $3 million listings, in a strange way, there's less competition when you start thinking bigger because very few people do think big. Yes. Interesting. Another version of like we talked about when you do what 1% or what 99% aren't willing to do, you tend to get 1% of the success that they could have got. And that's another example, right? Amen. Think bigger. Yeah. All right. Cool. Now this one, I like to ask, what are two questions you have for the host? And I try to make them quick. Ooh, two questions for you. Mm -hmm. Um, if you could have a billboard, that's in Florida, okay. what would that billboard say? Um, I think people back home that are still listening right now will, will get a, a laugh out of this. But my slogan when I first launched Profit Jack and I was doing like, I was selling stuff for people out of their garage on like Facebook Marketplace was just let me make you money. So it was like, let me like all caps and then it was make and then you was all caps. And then I think money was all caps too, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I had the like exclamation part. So it'd probably be like, it would have like the profit jack thing. And it would just say, let me make you money. And everybody would be like, oh, why? And then call me and I'll be like, yes, we actually do social media marketing now. But yes, it's, it's cool how it's rang true to like, I had a big transition year in the last 12 months. And it was like, it clicked for me. I was like, it kind of says the same thing. So don't stress. I stress so much about like, oh, it's going to be more social media marketing. It's got nothing to do with what I built, like blah, blah, blah. But then I listened to myself a little bit and I was like, it's kind of the same thing. Let's just gear what we're already doing more towards this instead of trying to build something totally new, you know? I love yeah. that, man. And yeah. then uh, what has been your best purchase over the last year that's been under $100? Ooh. And that could be anything. Under, that could be business, personal. You can yeah. take that anywhere. I mean, honestly, just because it's made my life so much easier, like it would be under a hundred dollars a month. But I was gonna say Riverside, like just in general, like the software we use to record. I think a big limitation I had for myself with not like doing the podcast all of last year was that. It was a lot to like set up the camera, get the studio set up, have the memory, like all the files were like 15 gigabytes and like editing took three times as long. And then I started playing around with like Zoom and like I saw this was a lot more cleaner new version. And like, I can just get everything as soon as I'm done. And it was just been like, now that I don't have that, oh, I got stressed three days in a row to, I can shoot like, I'm shooting like four podcasts a day if I need to, because it's just log on and, you know, talk to people. Like it's super simple. So yeah, definitely. I'd say Riverside, it's 29 bucks a month. The one I do, I think. Yeah. So for sure. Um, now if not real estate, what else would you be doing? And is there a transition you've thought about for like say 10, 20 years from now? Yeah. The transition is definitely becoming a real estate investor. Um, when I was young and looking at people's careers, Man, real estate investors have it figured out. Those were the guys showing up, you know, at one. They had this quality of life where they were great family people. They were spending time with their kids where I looked at the average agent where they're working seven days a week. They're not kicking it with their kid as much. So definitely becoming a real estate investor. Uh, I own a couple doors right now. And my goal in the next couple of years is for that 
uh, passive income of real estate investing to start matching up with the work I put in in the real estate brokerage and then eventually take over. Hell yeah. No, I love that. And I like, I like how feasible you've, you've been, you've broken down like the process really well going through here, like how you started and then what, how your goals have kind of like changed, like going through it, but you also showed the pipeline, right? So like you learn the game, you invest in the game. Like you said, you were a real estate agent for eight years uh, earlier. I don't know if we got that recorded, but you were in the game for eight years and now you've had the brokerage for four years. Just before we kind of wrap up, can you talk to us about what that process is like going from the agent to now owning a brokerage? Right. So becoming a broker in the state of Massachusetts requires that you've had a real estate license for at least three years. And then after that, you have to take a test. And that test was a motherfucker for me. Uh, I don't do well with standardized tests. Uh, I'm left-handed. I, I think I look uh, at the world through a different lens than most people. So sitting down first and foremost for an hour and a half, I don't know if you noticed this whole time, whole entire time in this interview, I'm standing up because I can't sit still. Very cool. Okay. So sitting down and studying and taking, you know, a two hour test was brutal for me. I honestly probably had to take that test like 16 times before I passed it. And there was even a period of time where I had like given up on it for a year or two prior to taking it. So then once you pass that test, you become a real estate broker. And then uh, Massachusetts being the state it is, then you have to get all sorts of licenses and insurance to become a real estate broker. Uh, because an agent can't go out on their own. They have to work under a brokerage. Right. Okay. Very cool. Now, how do you want to be remembered? Man, great question. I want to be remembered as someone who was unapologetically themselves and someone who lived their life the way they wanted to. I think so many people give up their dreams for a paycheck and it breaks my heart because I meet so many people who have wasted talent. And I think it's a shame to go to the grave, not reaching your full potential. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's super cool. I think just especially doing what you do, how you're able to now teach it to people. They can watch your content and learn a lot. Like, very cool. You know, where can we find you and uh, any big things coming up that you kind of want to shout out? Now is kind of the, the time. Yeah, check me out on Instagram. I'm really trying to grow my following and build it. Uh, it's Boston uh, Real Estate Walker. Um, check out mm. my website, uh, www.walkerresidentialproperty.com or hit me up on my cell phone. I'll throw it out there. My number is 617-581-5299. Text me, call me. I will pick up. All right. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Seriously. Jack, happy new, happy new year. Chase your dreams, man. Yes, sir. <laughs>